It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at seboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to seboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. And leading the discussion along with Tom today is the one, the only, Dr. Destiny Preet. Tom, I'll let you take it away. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly work cookie gathering as HRs, IOs, uh, recruiters, one actor and a bunch of people who like to help each other in the business community get together to discuss things of relevance. And today we've got Dr. Destiny leading us and we're going to talk about how to get experienced workers to mentor staff. Um, (laughs) Do I have to? (laughs) I mean, I guess that's the first question is how do we get buy-in from those more in-depth workers to actually reach out and start mentoring? Yeah, Tom, I think that's a great question. And it's uh, interesting because I, I viewed this topic from, you know, why experienced workers might not want to mentor staff and then how can we get them to mentor staff? And before we started, we had a very side brief conversation about, you know, people might not even realizing that they're mentoring people, you know, bringing people under their wing. And so sometimes when you formalize that, it can change a dynamic. And so, you know, one of the things we like to do at CBOC is talk about some of the different levels of research and things like that. And so there's been a lot of meta-analysis and mentoring research that has gone on. Uh, In fact, uh, research has shown that uh, they've examined the benefits of mentoring for protégés and found that mentoring is related to important career outcomes such as salary level, promotion rate, and job satisfaction, among other outcomes. So all of that sounds great. But once again, you know, what people want to know the whiff of what's in it for me? Why should I? Why, you know, why should you? What's what's the purpose? And I found another study that talked about the different um, kind of approaches. So and why mentees and mentors can benefit. But there was a five-year study of 1,000 employees at Gartner, and a they found that 25% of employees who took part in a mentoring program had a high salary grade change compared to only 5% of workers who didn't participate. Mentors were promoted six times more often than those not in the program. Mentees were promoted five times more often than those not in the program. And retention rates were much higher for mentees at 72% and mentors at 69% 
than for employees who did not participate in a mentoring program. So just some interesting facts there. They are very interesting facts, but how do I get them involved? <laughs> I mean, do I just bring out the, hey, this is good for you? Um, oh, look, hands are going up. Linda, let's go for you first and Lee will go over to you. So I have uh, two things. One, uh, Destiny, is it possible for you to share that document that you've got that you're referencing or share that data with us somehow, whether it's in the chat or afterwards or something like that? Yes, I can share it in the chat. And then also when the podcast is published, there will be a reference section and it will be posted in there as well. Perfect. Thank you. Um, I think that a lot of times when you say we're going to have a mentoring program, if you initiate in a mentoring program, I think that there's a couple of factors. One, if people haven't really done it before, there's a hesitancy to, I don't know how to do this. And so if you're going to institute a mentoring program at an organization, I think it's important to help them understand and actually do this, um, that you will provide them some training, some resources, and some guidelines for how that will take place so that you can remove some of that anxiety and hesitancy or fear about actually taking on that kind of responsibility. So I think just like anything that we try that's new or we proposed uh, that's proposed to us that's new, uh, there's an element or can be an element of, of fear that make holds us back. Um, so I think that's one thing. Also, if you're instituting a program within an organization, there's, uh, I think you need to give it a three-year runway to get it to a point where people really are excited about the program, see the benefits of the program, and it needs to be done kind of in a first-class way so that people aspire to be a mentor. How, how do you do that? <laughs> to have a really well-organized program that provides the, um, that educates the whole team or, or is available to the whole team to, to receive the education, you know, provide those educational presentations about what's in it for them and how we go about it and, and what's the schedule for that and how is it organized and what tools are you going to provide them. You, it needs to be, you can't be just something that in October you say, well, we're, we're going to try to institute this mentorship program and who wants to sign up, you know, it, yeah. that's a, a quick recipe for failure. There you go. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. You know, nothing that Destiny said in that article was really a surprise because I've seen it in action in, in organizations I've been a part of. And uh, I think one thing that you've got to do, especially with your, your more you know, longer term, more seasoned employees, maybe uh, someone who's been in their job for a long time, that uh, I've seen plenty of people that they hold it real close to the chest. They don't want to let that stuff out because if somebody else knows what I'm doing, then maybe I'm going to get fired. And you know, I was taught early on in my career that if you ever want to get promoted, you got to train your replacement because if nobody can do your job, then you can't be promoted. And so if you can foster that sense of trust where, hey, look, if you can spread this knowledge, this, this amazing knowledge that you have, have amassed, then we can look at, at, at moving you to some other stuff that maybe you're more interested in. And uh, if you can take away that fear that, oh, man, if, if this new hotshot kid's going to figure out my job and they're going to fire me, 
you know, that that's a good first step to get someone to actually mentor, you know, a, a junior person. Um, and as far as a formal program, the, the last active duty command I was attached to had a formal program and they had two. They had one for mentees and one for mentors. And if you wanted to be a mentor, you had to take the mentee program first. So you could choose to do that. And then part of the program was they matched up with somebody. And you, you know, they did survey, you know, what, what are your interests? What do you want to do? What are your goals? That kind of thing. And they kind of matched you up with someone that had something similar to offer. And then you could, uh, you know, and then you can, there were feedback mechanisms. So you could say, yeah, this is great. No, this is not working out so much. You know, hey, you know, thank you, sir. May I have another, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, it seemed to, it wasn't as widely used as I would like to have seen it. But, uh, you know, those who've been in a military organization understand how so many of us get into that thing where I'm too busy to do anything outside of, you know, what I want to do. So uh, there, there's the, the inertia you've got to overcome. And uh, so that's, that's a challenge there. But as far as having a program, I mean, it was a fantastic program. But again, getting people out of their chairs, away from their cubicles to go to the program, et cetera, et cetera. There's got to be some kind of incentive uh, more than just you get out of your office for an hour. Yeah, definitely. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. It's so interesting what Lee just said uh, before I get to the point that I originally wanted to make, the, the two different ways of thinking of I need to hold all of my wisdom and knowledge as close to me as possible so that they don't have a reason to fire me versus if you want to get promoted, you better start training your replacement. Those are a world apart, it seems like. And I would venture out to guess that those people who are very reluctant to let go of any of their knowledge and experience and wisdom probably never even thought in the other way of if you want to get promoted, start training your replacement. So what an excellent point. I think that that would be important as a conversation of topic at many organizations. Uh, but the point that I wanted to make originally is, um, you know, there are so many benefits to a mentorship relationship. And I think generally speaking, people think that the benefits are geared mostly towards the mentee, but nothing could be further from the truth. So I think on, on some level, it's a lack of understanding that a mentor can benefit just as much from their effort as the mentee would receive from that relationship. And the other important thing to remember is that everybody needs a mentor, even if you are mentoring someone else. So if you are um, someone who may be in a higher position at an organization, maybe you've been there for a long time, maybe there is no one at that organization to mentor you. It's possible. There are people outside of that organization who can offer valuable mentorship to you. So we have to look beyond just the walls of that organization. And that goes the same for people who are looking for a mentor. If the organization does not have anything formal, and if you're unsuccessful trying to reach out to someone informally, because look, you have to put your hand up and ask. People aren't going to offer to mentor you. Maybe they will, but that's pretty rare, I bet. Um, so it has to be proactive. It has to be presented as something that benefits both sides. And it has to be 
uh, marketed to the people within the organization as you need a mentor, even if you're mentoring someone else so that you can see the benefits of it. Um, and if you are mentoring and you have a mentor, just think about everything you're getting from that. You're like rewarded twice as much. So why wouldn't you want to mentor someone <laughs> and get yourself a mentor while you're at it? So to me, it's a, it's a matter of perception and understanding. If nobody has ever had a mentor or not one that they've enjoyed, if nobody's um, ever been a mentor and they have no understanding of the benefits of all that, then why would they want to free up their precious time that there's such a shortage of or, or so it seems? But if you truly understand the benefits, then it's a no-brainer in my opinion. Um, I remember going through graduate school and saying, I need a mentor, I need a mentor, I need a mentor. And the school had all these set rules. Well, you don't get a mentor until this year and this and that. I went out and got a mentor on my own because I needed a mentor there and then to get me to that point where the school would provide me with a mentor. So you have to be proactive, whether it's you getting yourself a mentor, and that may be someone outside of an organization if you don't have any luck within the organization, or whether it's you wanting to mentor someone else and grow yourself as a result. Every opportunity or every experience, rather, I should say, is a growth and learning opportunity, but only if you see it as such. Uh, let me ask you, if I'm looking for a mentor outside of my organization, is CBOC or looking for IO psychologist, is that a great place to actually start? Absolutely. Look at professional organizations. Look at places that would have people who have something in common with you, who have more wisdom than you, who have more knowledge and experience, who can teach you, who can lead you, who can provide you with ideas and opportunities and tools. So, Look, your your imagination is your best friend at that point, but start in the most obvious organizations that have something in common with you and where you want to go. Thank you for that insight. That's great. Uh, Alana, welcome to Work Cookie. Let's go to you. Hi. So uh, literally what everybody just said, my brain just pulled it all together. So um Linda Ann mentioned how it has to be ongoing as far as mentorship programs. And I can share that there's an organization I'm a part of. And when they first started their mentorship program, I did not apply to it. I think it's probably like the third year that I've seen it come around. And now I feel like I'm missing out as opposed to the first time that it came around. And it was like, oh, maybe I should do this. Now I'm like, oh, man, I really got to sign up. Um, so the difference in the consistency of the program going definitely makes a difference on the receiving side as well as um, Lee mentioned needing to have a replacement. Again, there's been two different times where I was ready to go to the next position, but I didn't have a replacement. So for people who are interested in being able to move up based off those stats that were provided earlier, like you have to make yourself available so people know that you want to be a part of those organizations and you want that growth so that you can take those positions but organizations have to have something that is consistent where people know they can go and they can trust in that time away from whatever else it is that we could be doing is actually something that's going to be beneficial to everybody involved. 
Let me ask you, from your experience, do you see there's a lot of people looking to be mentored right now? I don't see it. Obviously, I know that there are people because I can just kind of like see people that have that drive. But I think that some people don't know that they need a mentor. That's a really good point. (laughs) Um, Yeah, most of us don't think we need a mentor, but we really do. Linda Ann, let's go to you. (laughs) So for me in human resources, one of the things I often encouraged people to do was to get a mentor. And I encouraged them and and help them understand that you can have multiple mentors and you can have a technical mentor for whatever's going on in your job. And it doesn't have to be someone in your organization. You can have a career mentor. You can have just a um, for whatever you want to learn, you can have a mentor. And so that brings me to the other piece that I wanted to talk about was the myth of mentorship. You do not have to have gray hair and crow's feet to be a mentor. And (laughs) so, you know, especially, and Tom, we've talked about this in, in other conversations about how do we embrace the diversity of uh, the millennials and the Gen Zs and the boomers and all those kinds of things? And how do we really take advantage of the richness that that brings to an organization? And so to have, some people will call this reverse mentorship. I just call it mentorship. You know, if you have someone who, I don't know, is really good at the technical aspects of something or who can teach you about LinkedIn or whatever it is that you want to learn that you just don't have that information or the skills or even the resources to get, you know, get that 28 year old to mentor you. And, and it's a gift and you bring richness to each other. And so um, it's really important to dispel the myth that you don't have to have 20 years of experience and, you know, um, this huge career, you know, because think about it. Most of us are going to change our careers five times. So to have that 20-year person isn't even going to exist anymore, right? So, yeah, and some of the ways that, that mentors really benefit uh, are they can, they're giving back to the organization. They're um, developing, you know, the potential for people in the future, but it's challenging and stimulating. Um, and they learn from themselves. They sharpen their leadership skills. And if someone is looking to get into leadership and hasn't done it before, this is a really good way to put yourself in a position to practice some leadership skills. Again, you have to be given the resources for you to to understand what those skills are to to use, but you're given the opportunity so that if there's minimal risk of failure and it's for a finite amount of time, it's a great way to help develop those skills. Um, And you get a sense of community and an exposure to new ideas. So that's just a few of the benefits that a mentor can gain from having participated in the program. Yeah, I see some of the chats flashing up and and yeah, there's 10 year olds and five year olds who can definitely teach me something about computers. Um, And I rely constantly on people who are younger than me to show me how to use that new app that I'm not sure I'd even need, but it's great. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I really like um, what Linda Ann started doing is naming specific things that a mentor can gain and learn uh, from the experience of mentoring someone else and how age and generation really has to be something we have to get over because as we switch careers, as we switch jobs, um, I may be 20 years older than 
uh, someone else, but they've been in that particular uh, subject area for five years now, and I'm brand new to it. So what does it mean that I'm 20 years older than they are? I'm a baby when it comes to this specific topic. You know, it's inter interacting with other people in this matter um, or in this manner allows the mentor to see things from that person's perspective, to gain some new filters or lenses through which to experience anything and everything. So it's such, it can be such a rich experience for both sides. I think it really is just a matter of a lack of understanding how beneficial that can be. I mean, beyond gaining communication skills and like Linda Ann started saying, leadership skills, things like that as a mentor, there's so much that you can learn. And if you're not learning something, that's your own fault because you're not trying to learn or you're not wanting to learn. Every single experience is a learning opportunity. So come on, get yourself a mentee. See how good it can be. <laughs> this old dog still likes to learn new tricks. Um, Dr. Destiny, I want to pull you back in here because we're kind of bridging around a topic here and, you know, some personal experience that I've had because, you know, I've had people mentor me and, you know, I don't know where I'd be without their guidance. I have mentored other people, but as I find as you know, I'm getting more gray hair and more crow's feet. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes in situations where I'm working with people in their 20s and 30s who are, you know, younger than me. And sometimes I feel I'm being perceived as the old guy in the room. And, you know, and I hear this from my daughters all the time who are, you know, uh, 18 and 22, that, you know, I'm not really in touch with the real world anymore. Um, and, you know, the universe has passed me by. So <laughs> how do, how does someone like me bridge that gap and go, I may be getting older, but I'm still relevant. I think so many of us can relate to that for so many different reasons. Uh, for me personally, I'm usually a lot younger than my, the people that are coming to me for mentorship, which I find interesting. Um, uh, for example, uh, I want to share a really quick story last week. I, got a mentorship request on this platform that I'm on from somebody that uh, I used to work with in the military that I used to look up to as a mentor. So when I was in the military, you know, 15 years ago, I looked up to this person as a mentor because they were, you know, senior to me. And I was really excited to be able to follow in their footsteps. And then to get that request, them looking for mentorship for me, they have now, you know, their 30 plus year seasoned experience. And here I am, I'm thinking to myself, what do I have to offer knowing that I do have a lot to offer, but really questioning that. And so I think the, the best thing that happened on that conversation was the first thing we, we did was we realized where our connection was, right? So one of the keys to success in any relationship is finding how you both are connected and relate to each other. So no matter how old or young or whatever you are, you're there because you want some sort of connection or because you have some sort of connection or relevancy to one another. And so I think the best place to start is just by meeting each other where you are and figuring out, you know, the things that maybe cross over. Uh, and then obviously in that crossover, you're going to find the things that maybe you're stronger at and maybe they're stronger at. So uh, that, that interaction kind of gave me that 
realization that, yeah, we all can be mentors and mentees at any given point. Uh, but, but let me ask you this. Are, you know, <laughs> you could consider me a, a very, very young boomer. And for, you know, the last few decades, it's been a boomer world. I mean, you know, we've been in leadership, we've been in power, but we're also going through a lot of transitions right now. You know, remote work is changing everything. Um, is it a time where us boomers maybe need to become the mentors of the next generation of leaders? And is it maybe time for us to gracefully take a step back? <laughs> I want to hear this from someone your age. <laughs> well, so I think, I think maybe the challenge is that we all have our own definition of what a mentor is and what a mentor should be and how they should interact with the world. When the truth is, I really see a mentor as somebody who can help kind of guide through any kind of situation. It doesn't have to be, you know, professional related. It can be personal. Maybe, you know, so once again, it goes back to that connection. Maybe I would need mentorship from somebody like you who is a parent uh, who has lots of, you know, parenting skills or something of that nature. So I think it's really important to really define what mentor means to you as a professional uh, and, and then kind of show up in that space wherever you're most comfortable, because it's really about comfort. The mentorship should not be a forced engagement, in my opinion, because it doesn't really work the way it's supposed to or intended to, if it is. So best if we just take age out of it and go, this person has the experience and knowledge that I need. Uh, lots of hands up. Let's go to Lee. <coughs> You know, Tom, just to, to address something that you said a minute ago, because, you know, I'm, I've often been in that same situation, you know, as I got through and started realizing the people that I was reporting to were younger than me and, and that sort of thing um, that I found a lot of times when dealing with those younger people who might look at me like, you know, this dude's like my parents age and, you know, literal and you know, and, and as long as I don't want them to associate me with that, because then they're not going to listen to me. But uh, I find that a lot of times, if you when you sit down before you try to mentor, you sit down and you ask them questions, and you give them an opportunity to teach you something. You know, you, when you bring them in and you, you know, tell me about yourself. You know, what have you done? Uh, really, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. I'm unfamiliar with that. Could you could you share some some of that with me, or you know about your experience or whatever? And once you've kind of gotten that broken, where they're like, oh well, this guy actually listens to me. You know, he's not just going to treat me like I'm a child. And because I remember being young in in my career and people treating me, you know, I perceived as being treated like a child, and it just burned me up. And uh, especially since I tended to look younger than I am. And so that was even more of a thing where I'm like, look, I, I've, I've been here a minute. I'm not that young, <laughs> but they treat me like I will. And, uh, and it also was worse in the military because I joined late. You know, most people join right out of high school or something. I didn't enlist till I was 27. So I was already older than the average person. And so I had to really struggle with that. And, uh, but, but when you deal with the, the younger ones, once you bridge that where they're like, well, they actually listen to me. They actually when they feel valued that I can bring something to the table and have them listen to me, then that makes more receptive to them receiving feedback from me or mentoring from me uh, about other things. And then we can talk, you know, and work through that whole deal. Because mentoring is, is kind of reciprocal. I mean, it's two-way street. I mean, you can label someone as mentor and mentee, but the reality is that some of the best mentoring, you're both mentors. 
And you're both mentees, just on different subjects. And, uh, you know, some of the absolute best learning I've gotten was someone I was supposedly mentoring. And then they come up with something that I was unaware of. And I'm like, whoa, you know, mind blown kind of thing. And uh, so I think that when you approach it that way, you're going you're gonna to get have a lot more success instead of that, okay, boomer response, you know. Yeah, get tired of that one. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I think this is an interesting direction that we're taking with the conversation in terms of, you know, many people feeling insecure or maybe that imposter syndrome of like, what do I have to offer? So I think that is another added benefit of a mentorship program where it allows us to recognize our own values and the skill sets and knowledge that we've acquired and allowing it to pass down or up depending on the direction. And I agree with you, Tom. I think that many of us have had mentors that have gotten us to where we are today. And hopefully, you know, we have that energy to give back. But it is a balance between humility and empowerment in the relationship, being able to start with what is sometimes called a beginner's mind and looking at things very fresh, um, while also empowering ourselves with the confidence to share what we do know. Um, And I, I agree, I think that these things can develop personal connections within the organization. If you think of a burned out employee that gets a mentor, that could be a highly, um, a, a big factor in their employee engagement, for instance. So I knew someone at a large Fortune 500 company and they joined a mentorship program and throughout the entire duration of her job, she leaned on this older gentleman for perspective, for navigating the organizational constraints, all of those factors. So I think when we can really take the mindset that we've been talking about of really bringing people up, you know, cutting, cutting past the old perspectives of competition and scarcity to see like we're here to enrich each other and ourselves. I think that we can see it as, you know, providing a light to other people as we also grow ourselves. Yeah, great perspective. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. So a couple of things, um, going back to what Dr. Destiny was saying about the relationship itself, it really does need to be a quality relationship where both parties want to be there and both parties understand their purpose there. It needs to be a collaboration. It needs to be something that is uh, intended for a positive growth type of outcome rather than I was forced to do this and I don't want to be here. And now this young whippersnapper is trying to tell me what to do, right? Which brings me to the next point. Um, Humanity in general has a lot of baggage when it comes to labels and age is one of them. I mean, look at our conversation today. And I understand this is part of reality. But look at how many labels we have for the different generations. I got to tell you, I can't keep up with that. I'm looking these things up on a regular basis. Gen what now? Who are these people? And this is a terrific way to separate ourselves from one another, where we should be going in the other direction. And I get it that this is part of our reality. And I'll tell you, this is a huge baggage issue for humanity in general, but we have to start to shift that thinking. And where do you start? You start with yourself. You can't force the masses to do anything. You have to be the example. And rather than think about, well, how old is that person or what generation or what label or what this or that, just embrace the opportunity to learn, to grow, to share what you know with someone else and see how 
well, both of you can benefit from that exchange, from that interaction, because as long as we're stuck in this, well, you know, I'm older and you should listen to me. So how can you be my mentor? Or, well, you're from Gen Z and he's from Gen, I don't even know what these labels are anymore. Um, we're just limiting ourselves. We really are. We're, sh we're continuing to shoot ourselves in the foot and then we're confused as to why we can't run the five mile race. So it really needs to start with each individual embracing the amazing variety of talent that we're surrounded with, rather than being nervous or scared or threatened by it, embrace it. Diversity is like the best thing that could happen to an organization, which always boggles my mind why so many people seem to be against it. Uh, maybe not vocally, but behind closed doors or with their actions. To me, my God, the more variety we can have, the stronger we are. So embrace it. And that's what can happen when we talk about mentorship. Yeah, it, it's such a great door that we need to open and walk through freely. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. So I just, um, I've instituted and developed mentorship programs for an organization before, and it wasn't a huge organization. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a Fortune 500 organization to have a well-structured mentorship program. And we started the education process right now, middle of September. And that's when the presentation for education happened. It was for the program to start in January, which is nat uh, National Mentoring Month. And so we would start it. We, we did the ed general education program right now. Then we went to departmental meetings afterwards to see if people had other questions to do more presentations. There were specific applications for both mentors and mentees. And the mentees would identify what they were looking for. The mentors in their application would identify what they felt their strengths were. They could list who they were requested, the mentees could request certain people and rank three of them in a row to see who they were looking for. And there was um, uh, a small mentorship review committee who helped do those pairings. They would also troubleshoot if their pairing wasn't working. Um, then they would, would help that out. One strong thread through this particular program was that the mentee was the driving force in the, in the relationship. And you, if you think about that, the reason for that is if you have someone who's willing to give their time and expertise and, and helpfulness to someone, you don't want them dragging that person along. So the metaphor we used was that the mentee is the engine and the mentor is the steering wheel. And so that was, that was part of it. Then we would do the, um, we did the program, the pairing announcements, and we did that as a, that was a big deal. It was a very formal reception. The announcements were done like uh, Oscar announcements and, and all that kind of thing. And then there were um, training programs. And then we, there was a launch. There were uh, mid-year evaluations. There were mid-year social things to help them share ideas. And, um, and then we shared the the evaluation results. There had been goals identified, and we took the the goals, uh, the information from the evaluations to the next year's goals. So it was a very structured process, and um, and we had a lot of resources for them to use in the, in their process. So um, 
If anybody wants information, just message me on LinkedIn. Yes, I think you, you, you're going to be very popular today. Um, but let me ask you this, because it sounds like this was a really great program. But from the HR chair, how does the C-suite see mentorship programs? Are they in great support, and this is exactly what we need, or are they wondering about the expense and will it be beneficial? Honestly, there was not a lot of expense. There were some, you know, some things that that we put into to making it a really um, first-rate program, you know, with the reception and the and all those kinds of things. But we're talking a few hundred dollars. The minimum there were minimum requirements for people, and and as part of that program, they uh, the mentors and and mentees had specific things that they had to do. They had to. Um, identify personal vision. They had to identify their goals for the, for the, and expectations for the program. But it's important to have the C-suite on board because if you think about it, a lot of times people are going to request the C-suite to be their mentors. So, um, that's the other thing is when the evaluate the program, people did the uh, applications and if someone hadn't signed up, had, hadn't volunteered to be a mentor and had been requested, we would then go to them and ask them if they were willing to participate. So that sometimes they don't realize that people see them that way and that helps them be willing to volunteer. Did I answer your question? I think you did. And it, it makes them feel good, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. <laughs> I like that. Laura, let's go to you. Hey, so a couple things, kind of one of the main parts is building a lot of what Linda Ann was talking about was the idea of the formality and the structure. And I think going to the original topic, the idea of trying to bring on people to be mentors, how do you convince them and the value? I think when you have a more structured program, it functions better and it builds that buy-in and they kind of understand what they're getting into. So if I'm having to do this like extracurricular of mentoring people that maybe aren't my direct reports, then having the structure and the formality helps them understand what they're walking into. And I, I found, so I worked with a mentoring program within the special operations community on bases. I was a contractor and we were given this kind of simple package from the command. And then everyone was allowed, go forth and run it at your base, go forth and run it within the air force and within the Navy and within the Marines and the army, run it your own way. And then each base had their own thing. And when we would get together once a year, the programs were nothing alike. No one was doing any of the same things because every base and every command and every division of the military army Air force, whatnot, all did their own thing with a very simple product. And it was amazing how you can get, everyone got the same little package and then how it diversified all on its own without that formality and structure to to create a consistency. Um, But I really agreed with what Lynn Ann was saying in terms of the C-suite and getting the leadership on board, because I, I found getting the higher ranked, the more experienced people to be a part of the mentorship program was more difficult because they become more exclusive and more niched. And when they want a mentor, they find it within their career field because it's military. They're looking within their own little communities of practice, and they're not always wanting to expand beyond that community because they don't think that someone outside that community would have relevance. But one of the things I tried to encourage was if you're going to mandate this training, say all your again, military Air Force. So all of your airmen in your squadron have to sit through this training because the Air Force is demanding it. 
but your senior leadership in the squadron gets to go sit outside the room and do meetings and do what they need to do. You're not reinforcing the message that this is important. You're reinforcing the message that once you get to a certain rank, you get like to check boxes without sitting through the training and that it's not relevant. And that communication and that vision and image that you're giving by being in the room or not being in a room, being in a program, not being in a program and interacting with people. So I found that messaging didn't always work. I didn't always get the senior leadership involved and included, but I noticed that trend in that message. And again, that formality of program was usually how I could convince the senior leadership to then be a part of something. And so it's really important to have really good communication skills so you can communicate those messages to those individual people. Yes, definitely. Like a marketing communication aspect to it all. (laughs) Yeah. Which once again is that's a different field, but we kind of need to talk to those people and get their mentorship. Um, Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Alana, let's go back to you. You mentioned earlier about um, if like some of the older generations should kind of like slide out of the way a little bit. Um, I want to come in and say absolutely not. I do think it's important to kind of be mindful of who you're choosing as far as somebody mentioned earlier, relationship wise, who you connect with. Um, But due to the different generations and things that we're looking at now with uh, something being popular, quiet quitting, for instance, a lot of people who are just entering the work field, this is what they're seeing people that are closer to their age doing. Um, Personally, I don't know that that's a way to get mentorship and continue to grow and get promoted throughout. Um, But people who are just entering the field, they don't have any other experience. And if that's the closest guidance that they're seeing, then they're not going to know the importance and the value of mentorship. And that's something that those who are in older generations who have been able to experience the benefits of it, who know left and right limits, if you're able to identify somebody who has potential that wants to be able to like drive to the next level, being able to connect with them, those are the people who you can provide guidance to and mentorship to. And those are the people who are probably also going to be much more willing to connect with you and provide that mentorship back on things in their age. But if people in say the boomer generation just kind of slide out, then that leaves no little to no guidance for all the new people coming in. So please, please keep trying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. I feel better now. Uh, And you're my favorite person on the panel. Uh, Dr. Martha. Oh, sorry. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you first. Yeah, I just want to just say that I definitely agree with what Laura was saying around top-down support and leadership modeling for these things being very important, even though sometimes leaders like to be like, or parents even are like, like, do what I say, not as I do. But really, we know that observational learning, even in an organizational setting, is very important. So really making time, and I do think that is probably one of the biggest barriers in in addition to front end development of the program is just allocating the time, you know, even in the mentor mentee relationship, having that accountability to meet up and stick to your objectives. Um, But I also want to touch on what Alana was saying. And I actually have like sort of a mixed perspective on the generational view. And sometimes and in some ways, I think talking about the generational differences can be helpful. And in coaching senior leaders from from kind of the boomer generation, there was sometimes a disconnect in even their, you know, we think about these things a lot, but they essentially never had. And they were like, wow, I've never considered that 
my youngest employee might value work-life balance in a way that I never have, you know? So sometimes that can be a paradigm shift that can be helpful, but there is like that boundary and overdoing it where we should still, you know, view individuals as individuals and get to know our colleagues on a personal level instead of stereotyping. And then lastly, I wanted to add a comment on the, the older generations transitioning out. And I actually think that can be a good thing when done right. So I ran a study at my last organization where we looked at transitioning out CEOs. And this is a little bit different from mentorship, but it was interesting because some of the older leaders had to actually let go of their power a little bit and loosen the grips in a mentoring way where it wasn't they were evading their responsibilities as much as they were transitioning their responsibilities. But I think when you're in positions of power related to not wanting to lose your job, it holds a lot of your identity. And so sometimes you do have to make a conscious effort to let go a little bit, to allow new voices and new ideas to be heard, to transition the way you lead a strategy or your team. So I think, it, again, with all of this, it's kind of a balance. But I do sometimes think that there is room for older generations when they are not planning on being in the workforce for you know, five years, but the reality is a succession management we see takes seven years on average. So just giving kind of a different perspective, there's a little bit of give and take in some of this. Did we just lose Tom? We just lost Tom. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Martha, you're next. (laughs) Dr. Ariana, I think you shocked him offline. So one of the things that I think is unfolding so beautifully and in such an interesting way as the conversation progresses is how helpful a formal mentoring program can be. Because I think we've all seen um, some informal type of mentoring and it can be a very helpful experience for all involved. But when you formalize it, you have an opportunity to really get the most out of it. One of the things that I think is important, and it goes back to something that Linda Ann said, is that it's important to understand the difference between a mentor and a coach, because they're not the same thing. And if we go into the relationship expecting a coach, but get a mentor instead, we might be disappointed. So it's important that everybody's on the same page at the beginning of that relationship. And I like what Linda Ann said about the mentee being the engine, because you can have all the mentors in the world, all the teachers in the world, all the coaches in the world, but you have to do the work in order for you to achieve your goals and be successful. So I thought that was a very important point. Thanks for sharing. KB, on to you. Um, so this, uh, good, hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Good morning. This is an interesting topic uh, for me personally, because this is one of my interests going into grad school is kind of the leadership attrition and the generational differences. Because for me, this is so relevant work-wise because I am 27 years old and I moved into this position as a um, diversity, equity, inclusion program coordinator. And the staff that I'm, I'm more staff focused, it's with staff development. A lot of these individuals in leadership positions, supervisor positions, even frontline staff, that have not been promoted in years are now, you know, looking to me, they've been wanting a position like this, looking to me, this young person to kind of help guide their diversity, equity, inclusion efforts and 
it's not just DEI as a catchphrase, but also accessibility and belonging, belonging in the sense of psychological safety. Uh, it's very interesting. It's very interesting to see the different work styles and personalities and generational differences because that is a type of diversity. There's uh, ageism is a type of discrimination in hiring practices that you know pe you could be too experienced and you could be. Some people would think you're too old and not give you a chance, but you are still relevant. So that's another. Um, factor to be mindful of. And I do see that millennials have this entitled, sometimes entitled mentality where they come in and just have a disregard for the leadership that has placed, not placed, set the framework and the stepping stones for them to be in this position. Um, it's, you know, we study history of, we study the history of uh, countries and economies, but history of organizations having a respect kind of just not for necessarily ancestors, but the predecessors and the, the forefathers and f mothers who, you know, put you in this position to be able to do this. I think it's just a respect, you know, understanding how to respect people and respect differences. This is a very specific topic because like every, like everyone has mentioned, COVID has been the great equalizer, regardless of your background and how, the nature of work. So in this flux, how uh, how we communicate and how we learn to listen and empathize and collaborate will be the key in being a, me, ensuring that this information is not lost in transition or translation because there are so many leaders that are hungry to share and spill and guide somebody but they either may not have the opportunity, it's not, you know, made available to them, they may not have the time, the resources, um, or they just do not have the personnel who have the attitude or the personality to be receptive. That information, you know, will go with them when they leave to their next endeavor, whether they retire, whether they go to another organization, whether they start doing their own consulting or research. And this is really critical because we don't want to lose that information because that in, is some information withstands the test of time. You know, we call those theories and there's, you know, there's research, there's academia, but there's also applied psychology and the individuals, you know, who have applied experience working with different situations, different scenarios, you want to take that and use that because it's only going to help you so much more. So for me, I go approach it with humility. It's, you know, people think about cultural awareness, there's cultural sensitivity, but cultural humility. And I go, I've gone into each of the leadership meetings and told them that I'm not here to give you the answers or tell you what to do. You already are doing DEI work. I'm just here to help facilitate and guide that. And outline it for you and be a source of like consultation, a support. And um, just using that humility is really important. And that's how I've been able to get buy-in from these people is acknowledging their needs and presenting information that's relevant to them. You know, we talk about these terms, we use jargon like C-suite and leadership attrition, but how do we make that easy to understand and accessible to the common folks? Because we are, even though we may not necessarily be human resources in terms of legal um, legal compliance, we are 
the factor that understands the human side of it, the behavior side of it, the psychology side of it. So taking into account those emotions and, you know, like was said earlier, not putting a person into a box, getting to know them as they are. No two people from the same demographic of, I'm from the Midwest, I'm from this age generation. I was part of the dot-com bubble. They could be from the two, you know, two of the same ethnicity, but a completely different lived experience. And that's where belonging comes in is let's not deny the lived reality of individuals and their perspective and their expertise and their insight and input. If we want to be inclusive, we have to allow every perspective to be heard. And you need the, the experience and you need the pe new people coming in who may have fresh ideas. You need a mix of both because if you just completely dismember what has been set as a proven framework and evidence-based structures, you're gonna start from scratch again. And that's not a smooth transition. And transition planning and contingency planning is really important. And managing those relationships through that process is really what, you know, mentoring is a type of relationship. It is a specific nature of that relationship. And um, you, it's, it's only as successful as the two parties put into it, you know, their intentional efforts and their goals. So really, like has been said earlier, and long story short is, you know, needing, you need that buy-in. You can't just convince people that, oh, you should mentor these younger staff. You know, they have to see the value of it. And one thing I think we are really good at in our profession is the language we use to communicate. We're very particular and the words we use have intention. We don't use common language. We use more uh, driven language and, and inspirational language. If you want to talk about spirituality and spirit science, it's like increasing the vibration, opening the mind up to collaboration and new perspectives. And rather than being fear driven, being more open-minded and receptive to new ideas. And that allows for not just harmony, but um, functionality. Great points. <laughs> Sorry about that, KV. Uh, great points, KV. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, I know we're, we're short on time. I just wanted to, to emphasize that that I don't believe a program can, a mentorship program can be mandated and be successful. That's just, it needs to be a voluntary program. Um, and as far as uh, I know in, in the chat box, there were some comments about, you know, allocating time and so forth. For the programs that that I that I worked with, what, they, there was a minimum of a commitment of an hour a month, but and some met more than that. But that was the minimum commitment. So, as far as my perspective, I don't think that that's an onerous amount of time, and it could have been, you know, lunchtime or afterwards or however they chose to to do that. So, and it didn't have to impede on the organization's productivity, kind of thing. If if an organization is concerned about that. Um, and, and I, I want to recognize, and I know KB had mentioned this to some extent, is that the mentorship relationship is a, a special one. And it's going to be different for every mentorship pairing. So as far as managing any of the mentorship program, there needs to be space for that respect to understand that every mentorship pro, uh, relationship is different and it's, and it's all really special. And my final point is, following up on what Ariana was talking about as far as succession planning. And as a human resources person, mentorship can be a really key piece to that succession plan, 
succession planning for an organization. And that's where I can see where there might be a little bit more of a encouragement for people at that level to mentor. Thank you very much, Lee. Let's get to you. Jeannie, we'll get to you next, uh, but let's keep it brief. Yeah, I'll keep it real quick. Um, you know, to, to just real, with what Laura said about the, the top-down buy-in, uh, you have got to, to start there. I mean, I can remember having some uh, uh, intense conversations with uh, senior military individuals on getting them into the room for uh, these types of things because I'm too busy. I don't have time to do that. It's like, well, sir or ma'am, if you don't, how can I convince them it's important? It's not important to you. It's not important to them. And so you really have to, to start, get them to buy in. At the very least, have them walk into the training and do an intro. Hey, guys, it's great. You know, uh, I went through this earlier, whether they did or didn't. And uh, you guys are going to get a lot of out of this. Uh, thanks for being here. And, uh, you know, I got I to gotta meet, you know, whatever. But yeah. if they don't at least show their face, it's hard to get the others to buy in because they don't see the importance. Yeah, I think that's the minimum we can accept from leadership. Uh, Jeannie, let's go to you. The only thing I wanted to say is um, I did some research on autism and disabilities on mentoring. And that's my specialty. And that's one of the things that I noticed is that individuals with disabilities want to be in the workplace. They want to be successful, but sometimes are not because they don't have that mentor and um, there's not a lot of research out there for this particular purpose. And the individuals with disabilities going through the voc rehab often get missed and often go through jobs and then decide it's not worth it. And then just end up on the welfare system because they can't be successful in the workplace because they just don't know how. They don't pick up on the social cues. They don't pick up on the things that are important and a mentor um, being able to show them what to do and how to do it can definitely help assist them in in keeping that job. And they're very successful when they know what they're doing, but it's getting them to that point. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but people with disabilities can also be great mentors themselves. Absolutely. They can relate to each other in ways other people cannot. Very, very true. Well, Dr. Destiny... Our time has come to an end. Uh, any final thoughts? No, I just really appreciate everyone's input. And I really enjoyed this conversation today. So thank you all. Great discussion as always. And with that, let's wrap it up. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community. Gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.